This is a podcast from 3RRR 102.7 FM in Melbourne, truly independent community radio. Big thank you to Monique Sabir for the last three hours of Out on the Patio. She'll be in Bali next week and we are very envious, but I'm sure there'll be a brilliant fill between four and seven before we catch her again. You're with Bite Into It with Tyler Smythe and Vanessa Taholka tonight. Hey, Tyler. How's it going, Vanessa? Really good. How about you? Yeah, having a great little Wednesday evening here in the Triple R studios. I like that you've got your Fiji-themed T-shirt on. Yeah, it's, it's almost a- like you got the holiday memo. Yeah, it's um, I'm always relaxed. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a relaxing show. <laughs> it's pretty good. <laughs> Look, coming up tonight, we are really chuffed that we're going to be hearing about a blockchain-enabled music platform. Plus, we're going to speak to a couple of app developers, uh, one behind a carpooling app called Parachute and the other behind one called Plan, Buy and Cook. This is right up my alley. So looking forward to those chats later in the show. But before we get there... NBN News, Tyler, what's going on? Uh, NBN, always here. Let's see how they've developed. Uh, so NBN has just launched a uh, new fibre to the curb technology. Oh, wow. Is that another acronym uh, yeah, that we need to memorise, Tyler? Fibre going somewhere else. <laughs> uh, that's, <laughs> but not, that's not to the home. Wow. Not to the home. Um, so uh, two suburbs will benefit from this new uh, technology. Uh, Miranda in New South Wales and Coburg here in Victoria. Oh. So yay me. I live there. So, oh, congratulations is, to all Coburg Stuggins. Um, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so a thousand homes in total will be getting the uh, new fibre to the curb technology, but uh, people with existing fibre to the node or fibre to what's the other one? The basement. That's yes, the, uh, that's the apartment, the, the apartment solution. Well, yeah, the, um, they will not be affected at all. So even if you are having issues with your current NBN service, which uh, we know quite a few people are having, uh, this new technology will not is not a reason to. Uh, Celebrate. Celebrate. That's, yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately. Um, we also have some news about Mark Zuckerberg. We certainly do. So um, I guess yesterday, uh, our time, but kind of today in the States time, Mark Zuckerberg testified before Congress uh, and Wired has some amazing coverage of it. They've got video highlights from his testimony, which is well worth going there to to read and, and watch. Uh, but for the... They say that for the most part, he gave considered answers to the questions, except when it came to the specifics of how users can control their privacy. Pretty much, um, it seemed like Mark quite understandably had very set expressions about the sorts of privacy controls they'd been rolling out to users over the years. Uh, But the analysts at Wired really call out that the main concern about Facebook isn't actually whether we are controlling the things that we publish in terms of our family and friends and colleagues and co-workers and that sort of thing. But it's much more about whether an invisible web of advertisers and marketers and app developers and and other people can buy and see different parts of this data and how we control that. Mm. And that's really what hasn't been well addressed on the platform. Mm. Uh, so there's a fantastic article called Mark Zuckerberg's Privacy Shell Game, which really goes in depth into some of the failures there. And they have been held to account many times over the years. And we could definitely say that there's been a failure of following through on some of the, the previous apologies and promises um, and assurances that have been given from Zuckerberg to to everyone who uses Facebook over the years. Yeah, definitely. There's um, some great clips to check out on our YouTube and Facebook itself, which is kind of ironic. It's uh, it's uh, fun to see uh, both sides uh, showing the gaps in their knowledge. Um, Zuckerberg with his regulatory um, 
lack of knowledge and mm. the senators with their uh, metadata. <laughs> their lack of internet knowledge. Like, yeah, exactly. In general, it's a, yeah. it's, it's, it's a funny sight, but it's also uh, a little bit worrying uh, for the future. It certainly um, is. A uh, university in Korea, the Korea Advanced Institute of Science and Technology, has uh, launched an uh, AI program which 30 top AI researchers around the world have started to boycott um, due to their interest in... Uh, developing AI weapons, um, such as like Skynet, as, as people would know. Um, they responded to the boycott very quickly, saying they had no intention to engage in the development of lethal autonomous weapons like uh, or killer robots, um, uh, to quote, um, but they were significantly aware of the ethical concerns regarding their artificial intelligence research. Um, it's, yeah... Well, I think there's a few issues with this. Mm. Um, one is that, um, excellently, this bunch of uh, AI experts have spoken out in the past uh, about the issues of killer robot type technology and have presented their concerns to the UN. Mm. Uh, one of the, the leading voices of that campaign is Professor Toby Walsh, who's an Australian professor, mm. um, who's written an amazing book about AI. I think that some of the concerns in this particular case are that this university does not have a great reputation for handling like ethics committees mm. and things like that really well and that there's a lot of commercial interests involved, um, which is a little concerning. Definitely. It's, mm. um, we'll, we'll see how that progresses. So Tyler and I have just been joined on the phone by Mo Jello. He is the founder of a blockchain-enabled music platform called Zimri, that's Z-I-M-R-I-I.com. And uh, we're really excited to be hearing from him. Hi, Mo. Yes, hi. How are you going? Good, good. Just trying to find the right buttons to press. It's another regular day in the office. <laughs> These things happen. Um, so you're part of the very vibrant, we hear, startup community in Sydney. Um, blockchain solutions are all the rage these days, but you're the first uh, blockchain-enabled music platform which we've come across. Could you sure. maybe give us a quick pitch about, about what you're about? Yeah, absolutely. Um, we've uh, started in 2016, um, began looking at uh, music and blockchain. I have a number of friends who are in bands, uh, and uh, who are music, uh, artists as well, and sort of hearing some of the struggles they have in terms of trying to make it as a, make it the music as a career and sustain their music career. So we, I was been involved in technology for a, a long time. So the blockchain and music sort of came together in ways in which musicians can really look to get closer to their fans, as well as identifying new sources of revenue through the features of the blockchain to actually um, sustain a, a music career. So in the past, when people were looking at how the internet might help solve some of these problems for musicians, we heard a lot about micropayments. Obviously, blockchain can do a lot more than that. Um, do you want to talk about some of the ways that you saw um, blockchain's capabilities suiting mm. some of the problems that musicians have? Yeah, sure. I think one of the first things is really, the, if we talk about the music value chain, when we're talking about manufacture right through to consumption of music, um, it's no secret there are a number of uh, what we call middlemen or stakeholders in that process. So by the time the actual artist is rewarded for their efforts and their creativity, that's actually quite a small number when we talk about the actual overall uh, music value chain and on what actually people pay for music. So it's really looking at ways in which blockchain can actually eliminate all those various layers and actually drive more value from music 
back to the artists. So obviously we have the likes of Spotify and those kind of platforms. These are great and people can consume music from those platforms, but that's almost driven the value of music down to zero because from the artist's perspective, they're not getting that, not getting paid that much. Mm. So the blockchain can look to, to actually turn around the value of music back down to the people who actually create those assets, whether it be film or whether it be music. That's that's excellent. It sounds like a, an all-in-one solution, Mo. Um, mm. I, I was reading up that uh, you've you've got copyright assertion on the blockchain. Um, can you talk yep. us through like the legalities of that? How does that how does that work for the artist? Yeah, sure. So what we're saying is, at the moment, there's no global register of uh, copyrights. Mm. Um, so what we're looking to do is use the mechanics of the blockchain for artists um, through our platform to say, well, I've written this piece of music. Um, I own the, uh, the, the publishing rights as music. Therefore, I can record the copyright uh, metadata of that piece of music onto the blockchain. And because the mechanics of the blockchain mean that it's quite sec it's secure, it's immutable, it means it can't be changed once it's recorded onto the blockchain, it's a great use case for using copyright if we actually record their, um, uh, uh, their copyright assets onto the blockchain. So, Mo, do you imagine a future where someone who samples other music, um, mm. you'll actually be able to trace some of the history of some of that sampling through the blockchain based on the flow-throughs of, of um, copyright payments? Correct. Yes, absolutely. So, a, a, a big problem at the moment is that artists don't have any visibility of where their music is played. Mm. So as a result, they're missing out on copyright royalties which should be due back to them. So what we're trying to envisage is a way in which where, where music is played, wherever it's played, through the blockchain, you can still recognize the copyrights that are attributable to the artist, regardless of the mechanics where that music is played. Now that's, a great, that's a big problem at the moment in the music industry. I mean, the PROs um, obviously are responsible for paying out copyright royalties to musicians, but that doesn't cover 100% of of an artist's music and where it's played. So the blockchain is a great example of how I can drive all royalties back down to the artist, wherever that music can be, uh, is played. Wow, that's that's actually incredible. That's an excellent mm -hmm. idea. It's um, it's uh, how how would the detection of of the music go ahead? Would would that be sort of linked to uh, audio recognition services like yeah. Shazam and and stuff like that? Mm -hmm. Or that's that's a great question and. Um, you know, there's still ongoing work in that. I mean, blockchain is an emerging technology, but one way is actually uh, embedding technology metadata within the song, mm. which then links back to the blockchain. So wherever it's played, it recognizes the, uh, the, the playing of that music and, and sends those metadata back to the blockchain. And then through the blockchain, you can then say, well, uh, this music has been played X amount of times at this venue or at this, uh, through this music player, wherever it may be, and drive value of that down to the artist. But there's still ongoing work in terms of recognizing what the mechanics of how that's going to work. Mm. There's a um, uh, Spotify board did by a blockchain music company called Media Chain, and they're looking at ways in which you can use a Shazam type technology to recognize the song and actually still then drive music, uh, drive the value of that music down to the blockchain. Mm, okay. It's, um, yeah, so so how far along are you in the development process? I saw in one of your tweets that uh, you had just mm. uh, rolled out the completed beta. Um, wh how's yeah. that going? 
Yeah, absolutely. It's, uh, it's been a great journey so far and um, still lots of work to do, but um, it's been a, a great milestone for actually to release the beta platform, which then gives people a chance uh, and artists and, and uh, uh, interested parties to actually test the platform, but crucially, give us feedback. Um, so at the stage now, we're looking for, for feedback. Um, you know, we've Good or bad, uh, it's all uh, it's all important for us to be able to uh, get the mechanics of the platform right. But we've got a version that people can test, they can use, and give feedback, uh, and that's a great step forward in terms of music and and blockchain. So you've got um, this concept of embedding the smart contracts in the blockchain for artists mm. to receive those royalties. You know, normally contracts would be something that you'd want someone in your interest to negotiate for you. How are you handling um, people wanting to have different sorts of, of contracts or are you just creating sort of proformers where people can, you know, pick and choose different settings of things? Yeah, so when we, when we say smart contracts, what we're actually saying is it's the mechanics of how... How they're signed, it, yeah. Yes, it's how it's, how it's, how it's distributed. So right. if I uh, uh, buy a piece of music, uh, what we're saying is we can identify a smart contract, which is essentially a, a piece of code, which then tells um, when the music is downloaded and bought, where should the funds of that uh, music be distributed? Ah, at the at customer the end. Mm. Got it. Uh, well, yeah, but the, that, the, music, well, the value is coming down to the artist. So the artist mm. says, well, I'd like to pay myself X amount of percentage of um, my sales of my music. Mm-hmm. I'd like to pay other collaborat- collaborators X percent. So when the music is sold, the smart contract executes and distributes those funds automatically to the relevant people as, be- as determined by the artist. Mm. Mm. Okay, so um, does does that work uh, for other collaborators, say if there was a primary songwriter released a song and had a producer or a, a featuring vocalist on the, uh, on the track um, and they wanted to give them a cut of the profits, um, would they have to also be on the platform or would there be payout options to direct deposit or PayPal? Or They would be also, they would also be on the platform okay. as well because that allows them to receive the funds um, if they're attributed to the smart contracts um, from, the, uh, from the artist. Um, but I'll allow them to, to actually pick up the funds which have been attributed to them from the smart contract. Mm. So when you've been testing the waters for, for your uh, audience of this, mm. uh, have you been chatting to like small labels as well about how they could be integrated into this process? Yeah, we, we spent a lot of time actually before we began development talking to the music industry and trying to understand some of their pain points um, and then trying to hone in on where blockchain could actually apply. I mean, it, it, it can't apply to all elements of the music industry. We, we recognise that. But it's like looking at some of the pain points and actually saying, well, blockchain could really apply here. Um, so we did speak to a wide range of people, from musicians to the record labels, the publishers. Um, and so we, see, we do see areas in which labels can uh, get involved in blockchain and uh, and the platform, um, but that's just one aspect of the platform. There's mm. obviously uh, the independent artists, uh, venue bookers, artist management, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Look, it's a very exciting idea. Um, you. Could you tell us a bit about your strategy for the beta and, in terms of like scale around the world, how you're deciding where to focus your efforts? Yeah, so we we've we've sort of got four main features, which are smart contracts, live music, um, sort of crowdfunding, artist tokens. Um, so really looking just to, in terms of strategy, to get it out to as many people as possible uh, within the beta program, uh, give us feedback. We'll sort of look to then uh, incorporate that feedback and develop a, a better product. And then we'll sort of have a global launch 
later on this year. Um, but we, we've been getting cries from 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 um, from the states, uh, from Europe, uh, all over. In fact, in terms of the interest in in, in the platform and blockchain in general. Excellent. Um, do you, do you um, plan to try and create an affiliation with uh, people like APRA and other royalty uh, management services? <laughs> Yeah, that's a good question. Yeah. <laughs> um, we've been asked this question a few times, and um, yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I do know they're looking into blockchain, but that's a, it's a very early stage. Mm. Um, but it's all about it's all about collaboration. Uh, you know, blockchain is sort of game changer, not just for the music industry, but for the financial services industry, and for a lot of industries industries looking at blockchain. So it's all about collaborating people to understand how we can actually uh, use the technology for the, for the benefit of all. All right, Mo, that sounds fantastic. Uh, Thank you. Is there a call to action that you'd like to put out there for our listeners? Yeah, sure. Look, if you're interested in, in uh, finding out more, and in particular being involved in the, the beta program, as I mentioned, looking out for people and artists who would like to test the platform and get the feedback, you can head to our website, which is www.zimri.com where you can actually sign up to uh, be on our mailing list or sign up to get onto the Beta uh, Launch Club. That's very exciting. Mo Jallo, thank you so much for talking to us about Zimri this evening. Thank you very much for having me. Pleasure. want to send a quick reminder out there to everyone that it is April amnesty time of year. It's a very special time of year where if you become a subscriber until April 30th, then you will be eligible for a bunch of prizes as well as getting that warm, fuzzy feeling of being part of the Triple R family supporting community radio. So definitely something to consider. Check out the April amnesty details on our website, www.rrr.org.au. Don't forget the free things. Definitely the free stuff. Yeah, my there's no part. guarantees about that, but the Keep warm, trying. fuzzy feeling yeah. is is guaranteed. Yeah, that is guaranteed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Look, uh, we'd love to welcome to studio at the moment a couple of app developers from Melbourne. We've got Maggie Scott from the Parachute app and Gabby Chapman from Plan by Cook. Welcome. Thanks for having us. It's, it's great to have you here. Um, it's unusual to have a couple of people in at the same time who've have both been on this, I've got an app idea journey and have actually turned it into something real. So let's start with you, Gabby, and have a quick um, description of what is Parachute with two U's. Oh, sorry, Maggie. <laughs> oh, I'm failing terribly already. I'm sorry about that. That would test Gabby a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we're going to get you to interview each other and then come back to us in five minutes with the results. It's a trust exercise. Mm. <laughs> sorry. Uh, Maggie, can we please hear from you about what Parachute is? Okay, certainly. So Parachute is an app that helps parents coordinate help and use their trusted network so that it's a super safe and super efficient way to ask and offer help. At the moment, we're all about carpooling, that the vision is to be a much uh, wider platform for helping parents help each other around their kids' activities. So this has got to be something that parents are doing all over the place anyway. What made you think that an app might help this process? Well, if I take a step back, uh, as a parent, mm. which is obviously how I got this mm. idea, I actually felt that there wasn't so much of some of the help happening uh, amongst parents that should be. So yes, there definitely is um, informal arrangements that occur between parents. Um, but what I found was that it, it was actually a bit awkward and difficult to ask for help. Mm. And after research and thinking about the problem for quite a long time, 
I thought that the features that you can build into an app around technology, reminders, etc., really um, suited um, addressing the things around the problem, which mm. are communication um, and efficiency really well. It sort of takes the politics out of the discussions a lot of the time. Takes yeah. some of the guilt out yeah. of asking and also tries to make the whole process a lot more efficient because mm. if you look at how parents behave, they do some very, and myself included, do some very strange things around multiple texts, asking one person first and then going to plan B and then plan C and mm. this enables this to happen. Yeah. Um, a lot more streamlined that way. you can bring transparency to that that mm. problem, and suddenly, yeah, you've disrupted a problem. Mm. That's mm. very cool. All right, I'm going to try and get this right now, <laughs> <laughs> Gabby. I'm terribly scared. Um, with Plan by Cook, was there a similar concept of disruption going on, or, or what was the genesis of, of this app idea? Well, the genesis of uh, Plan by Cook was all was actually around. Um, doing the food for the school fate and Jen, um, I, my co-founder and I, we both have kids at the same school here locally in um, uh, uh, just in North Fitzroy actually and we, we're all doing food, there were a whole lot of parents there doing food for the school fate and everyone apart from Jen, because Jen's a chef uh, <laughs> <laughs> we're, t- we're sort of really bemoaning how difficult the put getting a um, meal on the table at a reasonable hour and a reasonable cost and, mm. and, and just the sort of frustration I guess with with realizing after a certain period of time of having kids, and I've got three kids myself, mm. and um, you know they 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 need to be fed three times a day. It's sort mm. of a surprising fact. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes really more, and, and often more. <laughs> yeah. And um, so I think uh, for us, uh, and also the idea, uh, particularly around our app, is um, we you can scale all the meals to match your household mm. size. So whether you're a family of uh, you know a lot of kids, or whether you may be a household of one, you can um, scale all the recipes. All the dinner recipes can be scaled between one and ten serves. Mm. So which is quite different from a usual cookbook or um, or a, a, any other printed media, and and you can generate a shopping list like Magic. Obviously, it'll remind you on the day of what you're cooking if you mm. wanted to get food out of your um, um, out of your freezer so you can pr- plan in for things that like your real life which is uh, you know whether you're mm. going to have a takeaway meal or or eat leftovers rather than kind of going out there like lots of us do and um, buy um, what I'd call optimistic food purchases <laughs> <laughs> and end up throwing a lot of it out. So, uh, you know, I was certainly guilty of that and uh, particularly fruit and veggies and things as well. And, and so you, know, you can save a lot of money and a lot of time and stress basically by by uh, doing that. So that was that was really where our thinking was uh, in, in starting the app. Mm. This is really making me think back to my family situation and, and how we organised, you know, the labour-intensive cooking with two working parents in my case and mm. there was a lot of sharing of duties and doing prep before parents got home. I imagine an app like this would really have helped to you know, let us know what's coming ahead and how different people can pitch in. Do you think that there's something in there about um, evening up the division of labour? Yeah, look, I, I definitely the great thing about it is also that you can uh, you separate the idea of the planning and the shopping. So um, mm. you can flick the shopping list to um, to someone else in the household, and if even if you're doing the planning, but you know some of those things, if you if you're doing all the planning, all the shopping, and all the cooking, it can be a very onerous mm. task. And and certainly if your kids get old enough, you can start flicking some of those tasks, <laughs> uh, particularly in the cooking department, to them mm. as well. 
and uh, so that's that's been um, been a big change. And also, like we with the app, it, it can you can share the calendar. So in our household, the kids can see what if they've got an, um, a device, an eye device, mm. and uh, in our particular case, they uh, uh, it just comes up. There's no more what's for dinner, mum, because actually it's going to tell them on the day. <laughs> <laughs> they may not come home those nights. No I surprises. <laughs> that's no. what I'm hearing. having dinner at a friend's tonight. <laughs> that's right. Uh, um, yeah, interestingly, so it's uh, only available for Apple devices at the moment. At the moment, yeah, yeah. that's right. We started building on um, uh, on iOS, basically. Mm-hmm. Uh, look, a lot of... Uh, and the, originally, when we started uh, working on the app, you know, so many mums particularly were on iPads, um, mm. and uh, whether they were, were on an Android phone or not, they were, you know, it was definitely the tablet of choice. Mm. So uh, we, have, we haven't yet... We obviously had plans to... We started thinking we'd be cross-platform. We haven't yet got got to mm. develop the Android version but um, you know we recently were we've been number one in the food and drink um, uh, category in Australia oh, in paid apps yeah. so that's it's that's been pretty exciting as well so great yeah I think there are a lot of apps that do individual um, things that you do but very few have them all wrapped in together mm. yeah I think I think really the scaling as well is probably one of our really um, um, key points of difference mm. and um, and you know and also that we've kind of built a methodology and, and a whole lot of, uh, um, I guess, information for people around how to meal plan better. And we like to suggest to everyone, for example, you double every meal and the app allows you to easily do that. So, mm. um, And so once you start building that efficiency into the way you're cooking, you can really save so much time, mm. which it, which is what we were, guess, we were looking for is to, is to just get the dinner done, really, because at the end of the day, we just don't want to think about it every day. <laughs> it's great that there's so many similarities between yeah. the two apps, actually. It's all about saving time and Mm. efficiencies just for different activities. So, Mm -hmm. Maggie, did you do similar sorts of research into your target market and and what their needs were when you were trying to design your app? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I live and and breathe the target market in the sense that Mm. I'm surrounded by other parents in the schoolyard and the like, but we also did more formal market research as well and ongoing research trying to understand what people think of it and what they're using it for or not um, um, since we've been in market uh, since last year. What have you discovered about your users? For example, I know that when my niece and nephew were really young, um, there were times I couldn't move them around because I didn't have access to mm. the right car seats or something. Yeah. So do you go to that level of detail or are your users generally older than that already? And uh, The users at this, this stage tend to be late primary school or high school, but mm-hmm. does, it doesn't have to be that way. You, um, when you set up a profile for your child, you can put any pertinent information that another parent needs to know about, whether or not that's something like an allergy or they need a booster seat, for example. Mm. Um, But in terms of what we've learned about users, it's all about um, Thursday, Friday, Saturday sport. They're the peak times, really Saturday sport when a lot of people uh, really struggle to get, if they've got two kids, two different locations, potentially opposite sides of the city Mm. to get kids to at a similar time and just not able to, you know, unless you're a time lord, you can't get to two places at the same time. (laughs) (laughs) I would, I mean, I'd add to that, Maggie, I've got three children and on a Saturday during summer, we've two of them play cricket, two of them play basketball and, you know, we we easily have four or more and we're only two people ferrying them around. So, so, you know, the complications of, of... Children. It's not often just even one one child, one sport on on the weekend mm. for um, 
in, in a family. That's mm. right. And the, they talk about that Saturday is the new peak hour because of the impact of um, people driving their kids to all of the sports activities. I think it's between 10am and 2. Mm. It's, a, it's a new type of traffic problem. I'd like to call out that that's also the time that people are looking for rentals and houses oh, to right. purchase. So you're suffering too. There is a clash. There is a massive clash. So if Parachute wants to look out for people trying to find places then and they all want to drive to... Mm. Coburg together yeah. to, uh, yeah, to, to get yeah. some fibre to the curb. That's Sponsored right. Sponsored by Hopping Stewart. <laughs> yeah. I'm very jealous of that fibre to the curb. Yeah. Well, we'll see how it plays out. I yeah, think. we're yeah. going to set up a co-working space on the uh, nature strip. It's going to be amazing. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's it's interesting that you've chosen uh, ride sharing as the um, as the sort of uh, first task for yeah, parachute. Um, what what are some of the other favours, like as you call them, on, on the site that you would uh, plan to be getting support for in the future? Well, natural extensions are things like yeah. having your, um, so call it care, but, you know, mm. coming back to a person's place after school, babysitting, mm -hmm. you know, old style babysitting clubs, which aren't as, you know, people tend to pay for babysitters these days, but mm. it's very expensive to get a babysitter as well as going out. Of and course, yeah. there should be lots of people in your network you can ask for help. Mm. Um, we're also looking at things like, you know, Pick up the mail when you're on holiday. Water the garden. Mm. Collect, collect the post. Just sort of stuff that's easy things that you should be able to ask your community. Definitely. Yeah, yeah. Mm. So these are all tasks, favours that require a lot of trust, varying degrees of trust for that's different right. things. Yes. How do you let people manage what they consider their trusted network, and and how does that you know how do you even think about maybe beginning to expand that? Yeah. Well, the, the first stage is an, um, enabling people to self-define trusted networks. So it's up to you to decide who is in what we call your trusted network, which are the people you invite in. Um, and they are typically people that parents have met through school and sport. Mm. And when your kids are young, that network tends to be quite small. As your kids get older, they become more confident. You get to know more people. That mm -hmm. network really tends to grow. So I would, my kids are in high school. I would put my son almost in the back of any car. Obviously not literally, <laughs> but but he would be comfortable in any situation, yeah. and I'm comfortable that he can look after himself. Um, so. It's about people defining who they want in that network. They can change that network at any time. You know, when people move away, you delete them from your network and then you can grow that network. Mm. So, Gabby, you also have a concept of sharing within a network within Plan by Cook. You have people can put in their own recipes for their convenience mm. and planning, but then they can also share those with trusted people. That's right. How did you can. come across that idea? Oh, we just we just like the idea of, I mean, obviously we've got, we've got about 130 um, recipes in the, in the, in the app itself that it comes bundled with. And, and, um, but a lot of people have their own favourite recipes and, and look in my family, that would be macaroni cheese, for example. <laughs> um, and uh, which is not often really an app worthy, um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, either in appearance or um, or just not too complicated in its recipe. But actually, if the kids like eating it, you know, we'd like to probably include that mm. on the um, on the menu uh, every once a month. And so, so that kind of recipe it would be one that I would add myself, not necessarily <laughs> one that I would then share with other plant no, You've got to share the more glamorous <laughs> recipes. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so then uh, the, you know, the idea came if you've entered you've entered a recipe and and um, and that means it'll automatically scale at like like any of the other recipes within the app, you can either choose to have it scale or set it to lock the serving so it doesn't scale, which mm -hmm. is, you know, how, how you would do, typically go with a dessert recipe. But if you wanted to flick that to another another user, you can just, uh, uh, you can uh, 
uh, easily do that within the app. So that's that's quite a nice feature, and you can also email and um, and print any of the any of the recipes mm-hmm. as well. So you know, that's it. Just is a way of 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 getting of, of people share. People do like to share recipes. It's one of those nice things when when they love food. So we've got Facebook in a lot of trouble at the moment with how it manages its social network yes. and, and um, its sense of community and, uh, you know, privacy and transparency about that. Uh, do either of you uh, consider the options of letting advertisers into your communities or, you know, is that something that, that in some ways could help your your services? I, I, can, I can imagine, you know, grocery stores would love to get into Plan by Cook, for example. Look, I mean, certainly we're uh, always on the lookout for a grocery delivery <laughs> partner um, for um, anyone from Coles and Woolies out there. Um, <laughs> and uh, but uh, yes, I think uh, I think actually advertising within the app is a bit trickier, probably I, w- I would say. But um, uh, yeah, I certainly I'm sure there's definitely opportunities there um, mm. uh, to to look at how how that might might help. But it really, I think the convenience of um, if you if we could actually close the loop and get to, and get the groceries home delivered that you know you it generates this shopping list that's um, ordered by uh, uh, by a supermarket section if you could then just flick it off to uh, to a supermarket <laughs> and have it home delivered that'd be very handy mm. I think I think actually people get overwhelmed with the concept of of cooking and the shopping and and the planning and um, so we also now do online uh, we actually have on our Facebook page and all our social media channels we do suggested meal plans just mm. so that people could then go oh, yeah, that sounds really easy and I could do that rather mm. than... Because sometimes even the thinking can be too overwhelming about what to cook for the week as well. So, like, we like to try and make all of that as easy mm. as possible. But, um, yeah, I think I think ultimately it would be great if we if we could then uh, get that stuff home to live. What about you, Maggie? You know, is it... Yeah, or, or uh, sponsorship in any way. You know, have you been approached by anyone, uh, lease car companies or uh. what have you? <laughs> A little bit similar to Gabby in the sense that we, we don't have advertising as a, um, a planned part of our business model, um, but there'd certainly be things that would be valuable to parents because we're all about making it easier for parents. So if there was a service such as, oh, I'm making this up, someone who delivers oranges to the match because you've forgotten the oranges that you were meant to bring for your players, then that might be something that's useful. So maybe a partnership with like yeah. a, a sidekicker or an air tasker type mm. of place. <laughs> But it's all about making life simpler for parents, so only when it aligns. So firstly, it's about creating those communities of parents who are working well together and getting um, great value from each other Mm. and then maybe looking at bringing wider partners that can add to that. So something that's a little bit more significant for your app than for Plan by Cook, I mean, Mm. with Parachute, if you're talking carpooling, lots of other car sharing services have a real focus on safety. Mm -hmm. Um, Because you have a slightly different model, have you um, still thought about, you know, the sort of follow car along type of capabilities or are you just completely thinking about things differently? And would you think about reviewing or Mm. other types of kudos? So there's lots of things in those questions. I'll try to unpack it a little bit. Um, So... We're a, we're a tr- we, you, you trust the parents mm. that you, you've included, but we do um, enable parents the ability to say if they have a working with children check or not. So that's just a simple transparency around mm-hmm. um, another level of, I suppose, vetting, you could call it. But honestly, most people will decide that's not what's going to make them decide. It's about whether or not they know that person and feel that their kids would be comfortable travelling with their that person's kids. It's usually being mm-hmm. taken somewhere, not as a solo um, transport. And then, um, 
what were some of the other parts of the questions? Uh, I guess about safety um, yeah, and tracking. tracking. Yeah. So we don't have tracking built into the app because for two reasons. One is it's kind of odd to be tracking the person that you know. Sure. Um, but we have a lot of other um, things built in. So, for example, there's all sorts of reminders that um, the person gets if they've agreed to do a trip. And also at the um, at the time when drop-off is meant to be happened, the person gets a reminder and then they would flick something as simple as saying, yes, I've re- um, completed the request. Mm-hmm. So that there's... So you just know that a kid hasn't been left somewhere not being picked up. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. Absolutely. And yeah. also it's all based on your phone contacts. So mm-hmm. there's an easy way to text or call that mm. parent. It's not a stranger. You always know yeah. that they should be um, they should be there to answer your question. If you're worried, for example, that they, you know, if you have a sneaking suspicion that maybe something might have happened, yeah. you feel you need yeah. to check up. Yeah, you know, there's been trouble on the west gate, and you just want to figure out where they're at. Exactly. Yeah. Mm. All right. Um, and in terms of reviews or kudos or anything uh, like that? Yes. Yeah, so not so much um, reviews of how good a driver is, for example. Sure. That's going to get a bit awkward. But <laughs> we're a little bit subjective yeah, when yeah, the seven-year-olds exactly. reviewing the you driving. Know, do, do you think they parked well? <laughs> you wouldn't get a very good answer. We did a three-point turn. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Someone honked. <laughs> uh, we. I think one thing that would be good to um, rate how not how helpful. There are some amazing helpers out there in the community, and I think it would be great if you. You could start recognising the people who are, you know, the super helpers within within Parachute, the people who do, you know, one, two, three lifts a week. Mm. And so that they could almost get a special badge, which yeah. sort of shows that you are you are really a sort of a pillar of help in the in the community. A pillar of the community. Yeah. Yeah. That would be That's nice. nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's just more of a kind of a recognition thing. So I think the last question is for both of you, and it's for all those people out there with app ideas. Mm-hmm. How easy or difficult did you find the process of taking your idea to execution? Look, I, I would say there was a lot of learning um, mm. from uh, from our point of view, and uh, I come from a magazine publishing background, and um, I, you know, you, you would think there were quite a lot of similarities in the publishing uh, area, but I had underestimated a lot of the things, even down to really fully understanding how that you had to stipulate each gesture mm. and, you know, would that be a click or a tap or would it be a drag and drop? And and really there's, there's so many little things that you... Because um, you sort of often think in a visual way how it's going to look, but there's so much from the back end and also really core decisions about, um, uh, you know, what program you you, um, you develop in. And, and I think the other thing I didn't really realise at the start was that um, there's so much creativity in app development and it's not it isn't just an uh, it's you know there's not just one way to do things there mm. are so many ways that people can program it. and and individual programmers will bring their um, uh, you know creativity to that and um, so I would say the things that we um, are really we really learned were things about it does take a lot more time than you would you would anticipate mm. and um uh, and it costs more than you, <laughs> 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 you probably would anticipate. And uh, so they're, they're things to factor in. And, and, I mean, everyone does tell you that, So, but it, it's, it's absolutely true. <laughs> so there is definitely there is a lot of truth in, in it will take you probably, you know, it probably ended up taking us twice as much time as we originally anticipated. Mm. And uh, so it is, it is a more difficult proce- process than thing people think about. What about you, Maggie? Oh, look, I think she summarised it <laughs> perfectly, both in terms of the time and the cost. Uh, I think what I, if I ro- roll back 
clock what I wished I'd done is that there's once you sort of start getting part of this startup scene, you realise there's so many people who actually want to help. I went down more of the approach of I've got this idea, I've, I've, I've validated it, I'm building it. And then once I built it, I was out, I'm a startup. I should have I should have been asking for more help mm. and more advice along the way because actually so many people are prepared to offer it at, at um, no cost just because they want to help people. So I think um, that would have been that would have been a valuable um, thing for me to take stock and take time to do versus feeling like I had to show them an end product, which yeah. is what you feel like mm. you have to do in business. <laughs> whereas people don't expect that of you, so you have to rethink your way of doing. Things. Oh, I've been watching too much Shark Tank, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Look, we've just been speaking to Maggie from Parachute with Two U's. You can check out www.parachutewithtwos.com, and. Uh, you can have a look at that on the Google Play or the App Store, the Apple App Store. And we've also spoken to Gabby from Plan By Cook. You can go to planbycookapp.com and have a look at that. It's available on iOS devices. Uh, very interesting talking to you both tonight. Congratulations on successfully getting some products out there. No, thanks very much. <laughs> Thank Lovely you. to be here. Great to have you. This has been a podcast from 3RRR 102.7 FM in Melbourne. Truly independent community radio. Want to hear more? Check out our website at rrr.org.au.